nice if it really was. Um, we are moving on to the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 1, 1. This was the Jewish book of worship, and many of these psalms were written um, for the chief musician. It was to, to be able to lead people um, in worship towards God. Their form of worship was a little bit different than ours, obviously. And we make a lot of songs to rhyme. Well, this is written in a different language, so it's going to be really hard for you to see any kind of rhyming words. Uh, but if you found your place in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, please stand as I read God's word. Psalm 1 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I thank you for music. For its ability to reach the depth of our mind, heart, and soul. And even move our bodies a little bit. Lord, we worship you in spirit and in truth today. God, we throw away all those things that are chaff in our lives. We lay them down so that we may take up our cross and follow you. Help us, Lord, to be fruitful Christians. God, I pray that you would prune out of our lives those things that distract us from worshiping you. With every act of our hands, with every thought of our minds, with every feeling of our hearts, with every movement of our soul. Fill every believer with your Holy Spirit and convict those who are lost that they may be saved today. Set me on fire and help me burn before these people the truth of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. How many of y'all want to be blessed by God? I, I just want to see a quick show of hands. If you don't, you might as well leave. I mean, <laughs> I, I want you to be blessed as a body of believers. I'm, I'm not going to ask who feels blessed today because sometimes you just don't feel it. Some days you struggle to get out of bed. Some days you struggle to get to church. You struggle to wake up. For some reason, you might be awake at 3 or 4 o'clock every other day of the week, but on Sunday it's hard to get up at 9 o'clock or... 8 o'clock or even 7. It's amazing how hard it is for us as Christians to do the right things that we know to do. The Word of God says if you know the right thing and you don't do it, that's sin. But here, it tells you you're blessed for some things you don't do. 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. There's plenty of ungodly counsel in the world. Go on the internet and read some comment sections. Whoo, that's some ungodly stuff. I mean, somebody makes a, a godly statement up there in righteousness and everything under it shows the filth of the world. And they'll tell you exactly how they think and what they believe. That's our forum today. You know, used to you would have a place where people would gather, you know, a forum, uh, a marketplace, a water cooler. Nowadays, everybody doesn't use a water cooler because they're afraid of germs. You know, we don't, we don't congregate like we used to. But in that marketplace, you get to see all the ideas that are rumbling around in the heads of those around you. And they will betray themselves quickly by how they express their opinions on one matter or the other. And when you talk about some problem that you're facing, you will get plenty of advice. Is all of it good? Is all of it godly? Once again, no. So if you want to be blessed, you're going to have to stay away from the counsel of the ungodly. How do you tell the good advice from the bad advice? Sometimes you have to look at the fruit of the individual that's talking to you. If you can examine their lives from a distance and say, okay, is this somebody I want to become like? Or is this somebody that is a cautionary tale that I need to do the opposite of everything they say? So you can't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It says, nor standeth in the way of sinners. What happens if you are in a car with a bunch of other people breaking the law? You get to face the judge with them. You get to stand up there with them and be in that judgment. One day, my in-laws uh, shed caught on fire and it was set on fire actually by Jody's brother. Jody, who got the punishment for that? Both of you. She was there. So, Have you ever done that? Your, your siblings, you know, you, you get in trouble together? That's what happens. Sometimes you just get the wrath. I mean, it just goes to everybody that's, that's around. You're blessed if you don't stand in the way of sinners. It says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And for that... I'd like to turn to Jeremiah 15, 15. Jeremiah 15, 15. <clears throat> give you a second there if you need to turn. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 15 through 17 is what I'm going to read. It says, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord, God of hosts. Verse 17 says, I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. Sometimes you're going to have to be alone as a Christian. You're going to have to stand out like a sore thumb. 
Kids, especially in school, they're going to try to pressure you to be involved in the things that they're involved in. At work, they may pressure you to hold the opinions that they hold on political matters or religious matters or business matters, whatever it is. You're going to have to be like Jeremiah sometimes and be willing to be alone with God if you want to be blessed. So you can't sit in the seat of the scornful. You can't join in with the mockers. You can't be a part of the hypocritical nature of our world got to walk in truth. <coughs> Verse 2 of Psalm chapter 1 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. When you read law there, think of the word instruction. Your delight is in the instruction of the Lord. The direction that he gives you. The world gives you all kinds of counsel. Lay that down and do what God says. Sometimes this flies in the face of the people closest to you. They have your best interest at heart. They're just looking out for you and they want what's best for you and they tell you the opposite of what God says to do. What do you do? You follow the Lord. You always follow the Lord. And if it costs you everything, it's worth it. If it costs you your job, if it costs you your family, if it costs you your house, if it costs you your land, if it costs you your parents, whatever it costs you, following the Lord is worth it. If you want to be blessed, you've got to put away the counsel of those who do not seek the counsel of the Lord. Because if they're telling you something, even if they're a prophet of God, if they're telling you something that God does not have for you, it will still get you killed. Read your Bible. It happened to a man. He was supposed to go in the city one way, come out another way, and not eat or drink anything. He went in. He told his message. He left. A prophet came to him and said, Oh, God told me to tell you to come back and eat with me. So he did. He came back to the town. He ate with the man. He thought it was a message from God. Right there after they were eating, that man said, Oh, God just told me you're, you're about to die. He left that city. A lion struck him down and just sat there and looked at him and his donkey until that man, that prophet from the city, came out to collect the body. The lion didn't eat the donkey, didn't eat the man, just killed him. God had judged him for disobeying when a prophet told him a lie. You have to be careful. Your delight has to be in the instruction of the Lord. God's instructions, or His law, is what you should meditate on day and night. Some of you, you may read a verse of scripture and a little devotion in the morning and just go off and live as if you never read anything at all. That doesn't help you. Meditating upon the word of God is not emptying your mind like this world meditates. They want to make plenty of room for demons to come in and just dwell. Meditating on the Word of God means you concentrate on it, you memorize it, you learn it, you put it into practice, you figure out ways to share it with other people. You, you do everything that you can to saturate yourself with Scripture. If you want to be blessed, it's what you do. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law that they meditate day and night. The verse here is Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. It's 
where we'll begin. We'll read through verse 40. Matthew 22, 34 says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? So if there's any instruction from God, which one is the greatest to follow? Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. So if you want to saturate yourself with the word of God, if you want to actually put something into practice, this is it. This is what you need to work on, Christian, if you want to be blessed. You're going to have to learn to love God with everything you've got. Heart, soul, mind, strength, everything. Everything. And then, after you've done that, you're going to have to love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. And you say, well, wait a minute now, that's a lot of love. Because I really love myself. I love myself that I make sure that I have food to eat, clothes to wear, shelter over my head, a car to drive, and gas in it, and insurance too. How am I supposed to love my neighbors when I can barely afford to love myself the way I want to? I love pedicure, manicure, uh, new hairdo, makeup for the face, tools for the shed, side-by-side -side to ride, jet skis, boats, Summer houses, winter houses. I love myself so much that I'm going to give myself a 401k, an IRA. Insurance for assisted living. Or nursing home. How am I supposed to love my neighbor the way I love myself? That's too expensive. It's going to cost me too much. Because I have yet to figure out how I'm going to love myself enough. If you've got two coats, give one to a neighbor. You ever read that anywhere? If somebody asks you for something, give it to them. You ever read that somewhere? If somebody asks you to go one mile with them, go two. Have you heard that? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? How do you love God more than anything else? You see, if you get it right, if you get it in the right order, if you love God first above yourself, it'll be a whole lot easier to love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Because when you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, everything else is added to you. Everything that you need is added to you. The rest of the world, even the secular religious people, will tell you to give first so that it can be given back to you. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And I'll have people, I'll quote that verse to them, and they say, oh yeah, I believe in karma. They don't know anything about religion. They're talking about karma. Let me tell you about God. Put Him first, and give what He tells you to give. We've already passed the offering plate. This is not about that. Put him first. Give your time, your energy, your talent, your car, your house, your boat, your 401k, your wedding ring. You know, there's people that give all kinds of stuff. It's weird. It's weird. 
And if, if your loved one started giving away something that you thought you might inherit, you might say, now wait a minute, you can't give that away. That Look, like the woman that broke the perfume and put it over Jesus' feet and began to uh, anoint his feet and wipe them down. And Judas was standing there like, what are you doing? We could have sold that and given the money to the poor. He was talking about himself. He kept the money bag and he was giving off the top. That's a whole year's wages. Man, what could Judas have made off of that? Who cares? Who cares about all this stuff that we're working for? We just went through the book of Revelation. Didn't you hear about it burning? We care more about our stuff than we do about the Lord and taking care of folks. As a result, we fail to be blessed by God because we don't do what He tells us to do. All right, so here, He tells us the two greatest commandments. Let's look at verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We used to sing a song, we probably sing in here, uh, Make Me a Channel of Blessing. What's the idea behind that? What's the idea behind setting up a nation on this earth to be blessed so that they could be a blessing? Why did God set up Israel? What was his plan there? He was going to make sure that the whole world was taken care of through a conduit, a channel of blessing that would flow out to the whole world if they would do what God told them to do. Did they? Nope, read the Old Testament. They split into two because of wickedness. And then the north was taken into exile because of their wickedness. And then the south was taken into exile a couple of hundred years later because of their wickedness. Almost 2,000 years later, God's put them back together as a nation. Something's coming. <laughs> There's going to be a conduit, a channel of blessing that comes through Israel. And Israel had to exist for it to happen, so God made it exist in one day, just like Scripture said it would. There's people that don't believe the Word of God, and they're going to tell you all kinds of stuff. Read Scripture, folks. It's your source of life as a Christian. If you're a malnourished Christian, you're going to suffer, <coughs> needlessly suffer. At least if you're following the Word of God and you suffer, it's a blessing. But if you're needlessly suffering in your life because you neglect to feed yourself, I'm hungry. Eat something. I don't feel like it. And shut up. <laughs> How many times has somebody told you that they were hungry and you say, here's some food? They say, no, I don't want that. No, you're not hungry. Man. We tell our kids that all the time. What they really mean is, I'm bored. I'm bored. I want something to do. Because I'm telling you, to a hungry man, even the bitter is sweet. If you're really hungry, it don't matter what you get, you appreciate it. Except for lima beans right out of grace. I said something about eating rice and beans one day, and she said, I'll eat rice. <laughs> If you come into this church spiritually hungry and thirsty for the Word of God, 
and I read a verse of scripture, may the Lord fill you up. If you come in here all full of junk food, everything that the world gives you, and I try to give you the word of God, you say, I don't want that. It just don't taste good. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they'll be filled up. And if your hunger and thirst is for wickedness, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. If you're so full of wickedness that you have no taste for righteous things, it'll destroy your life. It'll ruin your fruitfulness. It'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in a season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17 beginning in verse 5. <coughs> Jeremiah 17 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. I'll agree with that. Don't put your faith and trust in a preacher. I'm fallible. I've made mistakes. If you want a list, ask my family, ask my mother, ask my sister. They can give you a list. In fact, you'll probably be pretty disappointed in me. We're all going to go to the judgment one day. You're going to find out exactly who and what I am. There's nothing done in secret that won't be made manifest. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. So if you put all your eggs in the basket of, I'm going to deliver myself through my own strength, you're in a wreck. These look like big, strong hands, but I couldn't hold on. Verse 6. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, shall not see when good cometh, shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land and not inhabited. When you forsake the giver of life, guess what you get? Drought. It says good stuff will come to you and you won't even know it's good. You'll let it pass right on by. That's what happens to somebody who doesn't have an eye for righteousness. They miss it. Verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Why trust in things that's going to dry you out? destroy your life? Why not hope in the Lord and wait on the Lord? I'm pretty good at killing plants. I'm trying to figure out how to keep them alive. And, and what I've noticed is that somebody gave me a plant and so I, I, I took it out in my garden and I planted it in the ground. And it looked terrible. All the flowers on it just died. 
And I thought, oh no, I've killed it. I mean, I tried to water it every day. And it was for my birthday. I wanted to keep it alive. So one day I decided to go out there and try to tend to it a little bit. And, and I took some scissors and I cut all the dead stuff off. And all of a sudden I realized that underneath all that dead stuff were some little green shoots. I said, this thing's alive! I didn't know I could do that. Took a banana peel and threw it on top of it and watered it every day. Then, you know, the summer came and it started to just wither. I mean, just some of those leaves started to, to die. And so I went out there and I, I watered it again, watered it again. The leaves came back. what happens to Christians without any water? They look dead. They look just like the world. They don't read their Bibles. They don't pray. They don't worship. They don't come to church. They don't fellowship. They don't share the gospel. They don't do any of the things that God has told us to do in the Word. They don't bless other people in their lives. They don't offer a cup of cold water. They don't do anything for other people. And woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I've got problems. I want you to be blessed. Verse 1. The ungodly are not so. They don't produce fruit. But are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Matthew 3, 10 through 12. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. The ungodly are like chaff. What is that? Just, just empty holes. How many of you like uh, peanuts? You know, you crack them open. When, when you open a peanut and there's a couple of peanuts in there and you pour them out in your hand and you throw away the husk, there's some stuff all over the peanuts. That, that red stuff, sometimes it gets stuck on my teeth. I, I hate that stuff. So I kind of wiggle them around in my hand a little bit. I get all that stuff loose. And then what I do? I blow it off. And there left in my hand some good old peanuts. And they're gone. All right. Matthew chapter 3 verse 10. It says, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So if there's no fruit on the tree at all, it's worthless. We're going to cut it down. I, I told you the story of how I planted a bunch of fruit trees in my backyard. I've only got about five or six of them left. And, and the ones that kind of died on me, uh, I just ran over one with my lawnmower a few days ago because it was dead. And it was just a stick sticking up out of the ground. I thought, why am I weeding around a dead stick? I just ran it over. I was tired of weeding around that stick. That's what happens to unfruitful people. They just get wiped out. They're good for nothing. They burned up. So, in verse 11 it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So John's out there baptizing folks that's been repenting of their sins. He says, you just wait. You haven't seen anything yet. When he comes, you're not just going to put away those old things that are deadly to you. You're going to be filled with the Spirit of God and you're going to be 
fruitful beyond imagination. Christianity is the most fruitful religion because it lasts for all of eternity. Started out in a little big place halfway around the world and it's exploded. Verse 12, whose fan is in his hand. So he's coming. He's giving you the Holy Ghost, but he's got his fan in his hand. What do you use a fan for? Uh, you blow away, chaff. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Some people are chaff. Sower went out to sow. He sowed his field. He expected a harvest of wheat. Directly, his enemy came along and sowed tares among the wheat. What does that, what does that do? It takes away nutrients from the wheat. That means less harvest. So the servant said to the master, do you want us to go and pull up the tares? He said, no, you big dummies. If you do that, you're going to pull up the wheat too. Let it all grow. And when it gets done growing up, We'll go out there and harvest it. We'll keep the good stuff and burn the bad. Christianity is destined to stay among the tares until the master sends servants for the harvest. Verse 5. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They're not going to stand because they're going to be cast out. But I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. I want you to be able to stand both in this life and in the life to come. What is required for a person to be able to stand? Ephesians 6, 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. If you want to be able to stand in the last day, you're going to have to put on your armor. This is the Christian's armor found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. If you're not familiar with it, I need you to familiarize yourself with this passage of Scripture. And ask yourself, am I putting these things on every day when I leave my house? Am I going through the things that I need to to be able to stand before the Lord? Because I tell you, the enemy is going to shoot at you all day long. He's going to shoot darts of doubt, darts of temptation, darts filled with lies, darts of anger, darts of wrath. All kinds of darts. As long as you keep your armor on, you'll be fine. You'll make it through every day. I don't know if you've ever dreaded going to work before. I don't know if you've ever hated the idea of it. 
the things that were going to happen to you that day. Lacing up your shoes in the morning is a whole lot different than taking them off at night. My dad used to get up early in the morning. He had red winged boots. And he'd get up 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, whatever time, and he'd start lacing up those boots and he'd put them on. And he'd go out there and he would work no matter what came his way. If something broke down, he'd work on it. If he'd, he'd go out there and cut trees. He'd do whatever he had to. Some days he would come on smelly, filthy, sawdust and grease and grime. And he'd sit in his old recliner and he would lay back them old red wing boots on. And my job as weed picker, as the baby of the family, was to come up to my father in that chair and untie those boots and take them off. There's a unique smell that comes out of a red wing boot after <laughs> long day work. Unique. You take those boots off and you set them on the floor. Let me tell you that being a Christian and going out and living as a Christian creates a unique smell in your life that is a powerful aroma before your Father. And I want you to be able to put in a hard day of labor as a child of God. So that when you get there, you'll hear these words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Put on your armor. Verse 6, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. As I said before, God knows the ones that take refuge in Him. Jesus said, you know, I hear my sheep and I know them. I call them by name. They go in and out. God intimately knows you. Don't buy into the idea that God is too busy for you. Don't ever do that. You're limiting the infinity nature of God. His limitless nature. Don't ever think that he can't hear your prayers. If he knows how many hairs are on your head, he knows every whisper of your heart. Live your life before God always because he is always present with you. It blows our minds. Uh, my wife, sometimes she says, I just want you to be here beside me. I don't want you to go anywhere or do anything. Just be present. You don't even have to help. Just be here. God is always present with you. And if you wrap your mind around that, it changes the way you live your life. Now, you might have been told when you were a kid to be scared of God. God's watching you. He's waiting for you to mess up so he can squash you like a bug. Get that out of your brain. You will mess up, and he will discipline you because he loves you. But be present. As a parent, it's difficult to be present with six children. One day this week, my mind got into T-R-O-U-B-L-E at bedtime. Trouble. It had been a long week. A family um, 
we uh, had a memorial for my Aunt Grace that passed away. There's a lot of stress this week, a lot of uh, tiredness and grief. and so I didn't really respond the way I should have as a father. And so feeling bad about that, I went to the child's bedroom and I laid there beside them. And I did something that I haven't done in a long time, something I used to do with my two oldest when they were kids. I laid down next to my daughter and I read her a story out of my brain. I made it up. Out of nowhere. And after it was over, she said, can you do this again tomorrow? I said, nope, sure can. <laughs> I can't always be present. And I'm not. As a father, I'm very limited. Physically, I'm limited. Emotionally, mentally. Father is unlimited. You're having a father. He can literally spend all the time in the world with you because he owns it all. He has complete and utter control over every moment. He's never been out of control. He's never been too tired or too hungry. Doesn't sleep. The sun doesn't go down for him. He's the light of the world. He knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, and we'll be finished. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. 2 Timothy 2, 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know what you have to do to be blessed? Quit sinning. Sounds easy, right? It's like telling somebody just quit eating cake. <laughs> you have a natural craving for sin. Which means you have to mortify your flesh. You have to put it to death. You have to put to death your craving for sin. Die to yourself. That's what it means to mortify your flesh. Remember earlier on, somebody, you know, they make their flesh, their arm, their own strength. They let that be their guide. And I tell you, people who tell you to follow your heart, how foolish. One of the verses directly following what we just read said the heart is deceitfully wicked. As your pastor singing this song to you today, I want you to understand and let it get to the center of your life that if you will put away evil and follow the Lord's instruction for your life, He will make you like a tree that will never cease to bear fruit every season of your life. Summer ends September 21st and fall begins September 22nd. For some of y'all, football is in season. There are times of your life that you enjoy. I love it when it starts getting cooler. 
Some of you hate wintertime. Some of you love it. Some of you crave the heat of summer. They're cold year-round. Some of you like the flowers of spring, and some of you love the colors of autumn. But as a Christian, when you tie yourself in to God, it doesn't matter what season of life you are in. He'll make you fruitful. It's when you neglect the relationship with Him, neglect His instruction for your life. <coughs> that you will feel the barrenness, the emptiness of chaff. There's no way to live. I hear it all the time. I don't know how people go through this without Jesus. Whether it's death or illness or whatever it is, they say, I don't know how people go through it. It's because they have emptiness you can't imagine the depth of sorrow for somebody who is empty. And if you're that person and you're not sure whether Jesus dwells within you through the Holy Spirit, then you need to come talk to me because my job is to put you in touch with Him. There's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man Jesus Christ. I just want to make sure that you have Christ. That you have life. Abundantly. It cost you pennies. It cost you next to nothing compared to an eternity that you'll gain. They say time is money. Time is the most valuable resource you have. You may think of something else, but I'm telling you, time. How many of you would be willing to trade the time you have left on this earth for an eternity in God's kingdom? It's worth it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the salvation that you offer through the shed blood of Jesus Christ who died to pay for our sins. Oh, we didn't deserve it can't earn it. It's a gift that you give to us freely. Lord, if there's somebody here who needs to be born again, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them as we lift up the name of Jesus. That they would be saved today. That they would dedicate their way to you. Serve you for the rest of their lives. Lord, if there's some believer in here that has been wasting their time, I pray that they come to this altar and confess it before you and rededicate themselves to you. Or that they would choose today to serve you, to live for you, whatever that means. That they would give up their lives for eternal life with you. Thank you for this calling that you placed on our lives. Help us, Lord, to work it out with fear and trembling. Make us fruitful in every season of life. In Jesus' name I pray.